Hello and welcome to the Flying Frisbee podcast with me, Dominic Frisbee. As always, you can read today's piece, you can listen to today's piece, or you can read and listen at the same time, as many like to do. Good Sunday morning to you. Um, Today's piece is all about decision-making and the decline of family in the West. It's called Why So Many Bad Decisions? Exploring the unlikely link between large family, family unity and decision quality. Before I crack on, I just wanted to flag a couple of things, if I may. Wearing my comedy hat, I'm taking an evening of curious songs on a mini tour in the spring. There are shows in London at Crazy Cox, that's a fantastic venue, in Somerset, Surrey, Essex and Hampshire. So tickets make great Christmas prezies, so please take a look. There's a link in the article. And also check out my new album, It's All True. It's just come out, and CDs also make great Christmas prezies for errant uncles. So check that out too in the Dominic Frisbee shop. There are links in the article. So to today's piece. I've recently been looking at my family tree on one of those ancestry websites, and I was amazed to see just how big some of the families were in 19th and early 20th century England. Having nine or ten brothers or sisters was not unusual. Today, families are much smaller. All sorts of reasons have been proffered for that. Matt Ridley argues that families get smaller as people grow wealthier and live longer. In poorer countries, you might have lots of children, knowing that a significant number will not make it through pregnancy, childbirth and early childhood, let alone the teenage years. But with the longer, safer lives we now have in the West, you can have two or three kids and know that the likelihood is that they will make it safely to adulthood. Stat of the day. In 1850, life expectancy in Britain was 40 for men and 42 for women. Today, it is double that. Be grateful You are alive in Britain today. You get to live twice as long. But when parents themselves are asked why they don't have more children, the most commonly given reason is cost. People cannot afford to have more kids. The biggest expense of bringing up a child, government aside, the state takes half of everything you will ever earn, as we know if you have read Daylight Daylight Robbery, you will know that, The biggest expense is somewhere to live. We can no longer afford to buy the large homes our Victorian ancestors built to house their families. So just putting a roof over their head is problem enough. I've written endlessly about house prices being a function of cheap debt-based fiat money. And it's quite easy, therefore, to attribute declining family size to fiat The average cost of raising a child to 18 is now over 200 grand. Add in school fees and you can double that number. To age 18, you say, most kids now stay at home well into their 20s. If you look at who has big families today, it is most unusual to see an ordinary middle-class family with five or more kids. It tends to be only the very rich who can afford it, the very poor who get state aid, especially housing benefit, and thus can also afford it, or the very religious. On that note, my friend Simon Evans argues, and I'm paraphrasing, that we have smaller families because religion has died. The primary purpose of religion is to get you to reproduce, he says. 
And without religion egging us on, many of us will take the sex, but we might forego the added burden of having to bring up the ensuing children. There is probably something to all these explanations, but whatever the cause, families have got much, much smaller. That is indisputable. My parents divorced when I was just a few months old. I hardly saw my father at all when I was young due to various court rulings and that led him to set up an organisation called Families Need Fathers. He wrote about his divorce at great length and to considerable acclaim. My mother worked and I went to boarding school so I never grew up with lots of brothers and sisters or a big family. It's a life I've never known and without wishing to sound sad, one I've always wanted and wished for. How I would love to have been one of H.E. Bates' darling buds of May. I imagine we all would, though real life is never quite as idyllic as fiction. I only ever knew one of my grandparents. The other three died before or shortly after I was born. That's the life expectancy thing again. So I'm always quite jealous when I see, for example, those Asian families with several generations, nanny and granddad, mum and dad and the kids and perhaps even their kids, all living under the same roof. I know it's crowded, but it's also kind of idyllic, particularly if you have a big enough house. When I travelled around Latin America, I adored those large Spanish colonial homes built around a courtyard. Different parts of the family could occupy different apartments, so they had some privacy, but at the same time, they were always close together. I once listened to an audio book about willpower and decision-making, and I'm afraid I can't remember the name. This always happens to me with Kindle and audio books. You don't look at the cover every time you open it to remind you, so you forget what it was you're reading or listening to. Nevertheless, the author argued that we make different decisions when we are being monitored. For example, if you believe in God, and you believe God is all-seeing, the decisions you make will be informed by that. You will be less likely to sin, for example, if you think God is watching. The same applies to CCTV. Similarly, if you have a large family about you, they monitor and look after you. You're answerable to them. Secrets are harder to keep, and that informs decisions you make. This is especially the case when choosing a partner. Old-school families will even have made that choice for you, and they will have looked often for different qualities than you might look for. They're bound, for example, to be thinking more about the long-term good of the family, stability, family alliance, the likely durability of the relationship, the sort of characteristics in a partner that might be good for you, that kind of thing, rather than hotness factor, which might be your main priority, certainly as a young person. Broadly speaking, a decision taken by someone with a strong family infrastructure around them where brother, sister, mum, dad, uncle, aunt, nan and granddad all have some input, and so their cumulative wisdom is all added, is more often than not going to be a better decision than one made by somebody with no family around them. As you know, the great decline of Britain and Western Europe is something that preoccupies me a great deal. I wonder how it is so many bad decisions seem to be made at every level of society, particularly at the top and such short-term decisions too. I'm not saying I only make good decisions, by the way, I make bad ones, lots of them. But I would like to venture a possible explanation, the decline of family. We make more bad decisions 
without the added wisdom that comes with the infrastructure of family around us. If you extrapolate that from the personal all the way up through society to a national level, the same dynamic is in place. So the tentative conclusion of this article is that the decline of family has led to worse decision-making at every level of society. How now to explain the decline of family? Well, I blame high house prices and fiat. Therefore, fiat leads to bad decision-making at every level of society. How about that? Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back with another podcast very soon. Please subscribe. Uh, please like this podcast on your podcast app. Uh, it helps a lot on Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. And until next time, goodbye.